0: Welcome to Liquor and Liqueur Connoisseur, where I drink, discuss, and discover the world of distilled spirits. I'm your host, Matt Burchard. This is episode 23, and I'm drinking Pims number one. If you're a first-time listener or have been with me from the start, you should expect from every episode that I will be well-researched and educational, entertaining, and consistent in my reviews. I created Liquor in the Core Connoisseur podcast as a way for me to explore the world of distilled spirits. I chose to feature Pimm's number one on this episode because the Pimm's cup cocktail is one that's been kicking around in my mind since bartending school decades ago. I've always considered it an old or classic cocktail, yet I've never had one. Primarily because I've never had the spirit on hand, and I also missed a chance to have one at a famous location several years ago. Pimm's has been of interest to me for some time now, so it's due an episode. But first, what is Pimm's number one? Simply put, it's a gin-based liqueur from London. The bottle of PIMS number one I have is a standard 750 milliliter bottle. It is bottled at 25% alcohol by volume, making it 50 proof. And it retails for about $26 US. I'm pretty excited to open this, to be honest. Okay, it's got a metal screw cap, so let's open it up. And let's give it a pour. As with all spirits, on this podcast, I taste them neat in a nosing glass or a Glencairn whiskey glass. It allows the aromas to gather at the top. I can swirl the spirit in the glass and get a good look at it. So that is how I try it. Just room temperature right out of the bottle. In the glass, it's a dark reddish brown. I've heard it described as iced tea colored, and that could be true. On the nose, when I opened the bottle and poured it, the first thing that came to mind for me was cherry cola, or cola. And after nosing it again, to me it really smells like Zwack unicum, which is herbal liqueur from Hungary I've covered in earlier episodes. And I think it's the strong orange zest that comes from it. That's really the... The forward note is a cola with orange zest, and that makes sense based on what's in PIMS. It smells sweet as well, which makes me happy because I like sweet. So let's give it a taste. Mouthfeel is thin, which is surprising. It's very orange. It's a little bitter, almost bittersweet. It's like an adulterated triple sec or or like an orange liqueur that has been bittered. It's got some herbalness to it. A little bit of cinnamon. Some licorice flavors in the background. It's not bad, though. Surprising. Not at all what I expected. And to be honest, what I was expecting was a sweet, syrupy, floral, bright, fruity punch flavor. Which this is not... This is quite good, but didn't meet my expectations. That's because I've never had Pimm's number one, so now I know. To be fair, it does taste like it's component ingredients, so I'm not saying that it is somehow not true to its, its nature, but I don't know, I just had constructed in my mind a different flavor than what I have in the glass. It's very easy drinking, uh, 25% ABB, 50 proof that you barely taste the ethanol, or at least I barely do, it's quite good. So as I sip on this, Let's go to the history of Pimm's Number 1. It's also known as the original Number 1 cup, or simply Pimm's. It's a gin-based liqueur, as I mentioned before, from London, England. It was invented by James Pimm in 1840. James was in the oyster business, and he opened his own oyster bar in 1840 named Pimm's Oyster Warehouse. This is also when he invented Pimm's Number 1, and the naming has to do with convenience as much as anything. In the 1800s, it was rather common practice in England to mix your own house liqueur, served as a punch, referred to as a fruit cup or a house cup, as a way to help cover the taste of poorly made gins. Plus, an archived version of the Pimm's website claimed that James Pym realized customers stayed longer when they sipped rather than slugged their gin. But the funny name, the number one cup, that has to do with the vessel the drink was served in. In 1840s in London, you'd be served a drink in a small tankard. This is a type of cup, or akin to a lidless German beer stein. It's the sort of drinking vessel you'll see in old-time movies portraying this time. They were popular in colonial America, as well as the British Isles. A tankard is often made of pewter or other metal, and they have a handle and a slightly flared base relative to the rim. I've found two conflicting reports as far as what the number one moniker comes from. One says it's from the small size of the tankard, a number one size, while other sources say that Pimm's concoction from 1840 was simply labeled sequentially as the number one house cup. Basically, like the house cocktail or the house liqueur, it was just the first. And this second take, that it was simply named number one because it was the first, this is the one that I tend to agree with, because in 1851, Pims released number two and number three cups. The line was eventually extended up to a number six cup. Each of these other cups had different base spirits, number two being scotch-based and number three being brandy-based, as an example. But the number one cup was, and still is, gin-based. So it seems that pim's number one cup is as plain, simple, descriptive as you can get whichever version of the story you choose to believe. It was the first drink from James Pym, referred to as a cup. So it's pim's number one cup. Or it was an alternative naming theory that would have the small tankard size be the reason for the name. It would just be James Pym's small house drink. Either seems valid. Pym was definitely onto something because the drink proved so popular that Commercial production began for sale beyond the Oyster Bar in 1859. In 1865, James Pym seems to have cashed out. He sold the business and rights to his name to a Frederick Sawyer. Sawyer then sold the business in 1880 to Horatio David Davies, who was a local wine merchant and cafe owner in London. In 1887, it's said that Horatio franchised Pim's Oyster Houses across London. I'm not sure if he converted his cafes to a Pimm's Oyster House or if they were new ventures. But in the late 1890s, Horatio became Sir Horatio, a Member of Parliament and then Lord Mayor of London. Sir Horatio is credited with forming Pimm's into a privately held company in 1906, and it is said that his society connections helped him to popularize Pim's number one. And Pimm's number one definitely grew in Britain in popularity, but it took off internationally after World War II. Pimm's number four, based on rum, was launched, then in the 1960s was followed by number five, which was rye whiskey based, and number six, which was vodka based. After Sir Horatio had died, it's said that family trusts owned the company for 50 years or so, but in 1969, Pims was acquired by the Distillers Company, and this was a firm that was an ancestor of Diageo. Diageo, of course, is the global drinks heavyweight who currently owns Pims. In the 1970s, Pims fell out of favor, and by the 1980s, the numbers other than the original number one had been phased out. Diageo and its predecessor companies that included Guinness put some decent marketing behind Pimm's Number no. 1, and it has endured. By the latter half of the 20th century, Pimm's cup cocktail had become strongly associated with summer in Britain as well. Pimm's brought back Number no. 6 for a brief period, and they've also introduced some non-numbered varieties such as a winter cup, but Pimm's Number no. 1 is the only constant. From a sales figure standpoint, I can't find any detail on the number of cases sold for the liqueur, but I did find reference to the ready-to-drink version that's premixed with lemonade and sold in cans in the UK. This is essentially a Pimm's cup cocktail in a can. And as of December of 2019, they had sold nearly half a million liters worth of it for the year. That represented a 387% increase from the prior year. This, however, was only about a quarter of the sales that Schmirnoff Ice made in the same period. Needless to say, Pimm's number one is popular enough that it won't be going anywhere anytime soon. How is it made? Pimm's is made in Great Britain today, uh, as it always has been. It's made by infusing gin with a secret combination of herbal botanicals, caramelized orange, which is one of the disclosed flavors, and that makes sense because it's a very forward flavor note, and what they refer to as warm spices. It is a secret recipe. The label now says, closely guarded. A few years back, it was purported that only six people knew the recipe. But with Diageo owning PIMs, I'm fairly certain they have operational contingencies for the recipe. And granted, it's a trade secret, but probably more widely known than some other liqueurs. But beyond this, I can't really find any detail on production. I think it's safe to say it's a very commercial, consistent production method with Diageo creating PIMS number one for decades. And I suspect this is fairly similar in, at least in theory, or spirit to the original spirit of 1840. As I've already mentioned before, Pim's number no. one is synonymous with the Pim's Cup cocktail. You may be hard pressed to find another cocktail so closely tied to its namesake spirit. Pim's number no. one is basically pre mixed cocktail punch. And if you look at it this way, it's gin based. Added to the gin is a secret mix of botanicals and sugar, and the sugar addition makes it a liqueur, but it's also just really a punch concentrate in a bottle. And from the beginning, I believe that was the intention, Old bottles refer to it as a gin sling, the original gin sling, and I'll talk about that more later, but the other numbers, number two, number three, number four, etc., they would refer to them as the original whiskey sling, the original vodka sling, the original brandy sling. So it really was intended to be a cocktail in a bottle. The currently accepted way to drink Pimm's No. 1 is to make a Pimm's Cup cocktail. And this only requires that you dilute Pimm's No. 1 with some lemonade or lemon-lime soda if you're in the U.S., or ginger ale. And then you heavily garnish it with fruit and cucumber. That's a Pimm's Cup. The ratio is dead simple of one part Pimm's to three parts mixer. A cup, however, is actually a style of drink. To the British, a fruit cup is a mainstay of summer. Fruit cups are said to have been invented by the Victorians as a mixture of fruit, liqueurs, spices, and gin as a homemade concoction. The Pimm's cup became the standard bearer of the bottled variety. There's other brands available, but Pimm's is likely the one you'll encounter most widely distributed. If you live in the UK, you may be familiar with some other brands. Because the recipe is so simple, Pimm's cup is often made by the pitcher. Pimm's themselves have sold a Pimm's branded pitcher specifically for this purpose. With Pimm's currently being bottled at 25% ABV, when you mix it at the proper ratio, you're getting a cocktail that's only about 6.25% ABV or less than 13 proof. With the melted ice added, it gets weaker yet. So we're firmly in beer-proof range. That means a Pimm's cup you can drink like you would drink a beer, and thus you can enjoy it without really the worry of getting too intoxicated. Beyond the fruit cup moniker of Pimm's cup, if you dig a bit deeper, like I did, you'll find that early advertising for Pimm's referred to it as the original gin sling. As I mentioned before, they were referred to as slings. When the term sling is used with cocktails these days, it's typically preceded with Singapore for the Singapore sling. That drink isn't much like a Pimm's cup, at least not how it's served these days. The history of a sling is that it comes from the German word Schlingen, meaning to swallow, and in its classic form a sling would be a spirit base like gin with sugar, juices, and soda water. The aforementioned Singapore sling is simply a version of a gin sling created in Singapore in 1915. A sling purportedly originally meant to refer to a single serve punch. And if that's the case, I suppose a Pimms cup qualifies as a gin sling. Though the original ads and bottles for Pimms didn't say anything about mixing Pimms Number 1 with lemonade to create the cup. Number 1 itself was simply referred to as the gin sling, or the original gin sling. Sling. So then, one wonders, is a Pimm's Cup a diluted gin sling? To be honest, we may never know, but the research and the history I did on this episode was really interesting to me. Again, Liquor in the Core Connoisseur is not intended to be a podcast on cocktails, but Pimm's Number 1 and the Pimm's Cup cocktail are so closely intertwined that... I had to do some deep digging. Another older ad for PIMS had great copy. And being a marketer by trade, I was enamored by this magazine ad. This magazine ad would have made the perfect billboard because it aligned with the billboard rule I learned in school, which had seven words or less is the best way to do outdoor media. It read, just say PIMS and suddenly it's summer. A visual of a carefree young person kicking back beneath a blue sky with pims in hand and a quartet of balloons concisely conveyed the sentiment. One last note on the Pims Cup. Okay, two last notes. Of course, Pimm's Cup is famous in England, and since 1971, it's been served at Wimbledon for the tennis tournament held there. And they sell somewhere north of 230,000 glasses of the stuff, some 40,000 liters plus, or pints plus, the, the numbers are really large. It's a lot of this cocktail that they're selling at Wimpleton. Along with champagne, Pimm's Cup is an official drink of Wimpleton. And I read a report that in 2015, the Cucumber Growers Association estimated that they may need 7 million cucumbers to keep up with Pimm's Cup demand for the summer. And here's truly the final note on the cocktail. Outside of the UK, the next location with the highest affinity for pims is New Orleans, and in particular, the Napoleon House Bar in the French Quarter. The building dates to 1794, but it's been a restaurant since 1914, and somewhere in the 1940s, they started serving pims Cups, with a bit of a twist using 7-Up versus the traditional sparkling lemonade or ginger ale in the UK. The pims Cup at Napoleon House Bar is a top to this day. It's even featured on their website. I'll post a link in the show notes so you can check it out. They've got a nice little video on the site currently. Back in 2016, I did a cocktail walking tour of New Orleans, which if you ever have a chance to get there, take the Gray Line tour, walking tour, cocktail tour of New Orleans. It's worth it. We stopped at the Napoleon House, but I believe it was closed or not yet open for business for the day because I did not get a Pimm's cup, though it was famous famous, and I don't even think we went inside. I do remember the building looking very dingy and dilapidated, and I believe that's part of the appeal or the patina to this day. So anyway, that's my brush with glory, so to speak, with the Pim's Cup at a famous location where it served. In summary, what do I think of PIMS? To be honest, I'm rather surprised it's taken me 20 years probably since I was in bartending school to actually try PIMS to buy a bottle or even order some at a bar. Most bars are going to have a bottle kind of collecting dust in the back shelf somewhere. And to my palate, it's right in line with a lot of Amaro's bittersweet liqueurs that I like. It's surprising. I expected a a sweet, syrupy, fruity punch. And this is a bittersweet, orange, bitter liqueur. It's great. I'm absolutely going to have to mix it with some lemonade or lemon lime, throw a bunch of fruit in it, and try the Pimm's Cup for real. But I have had a healthy portion during the recording of this episode, and it is quite good. I also really enjoyed the story behind PIMS. This is the kind of spirit that I've created Liquor in the Core Connoisseur for, to explore the world of distilled spirits, to drink, discuss, and discover, and to drink more. And that'll do it for this episode of Liquor in the Core Connoisseur. As always, I'm your host, Matt Burchard. Please subscribe and share. Show notes are on LiquorintheCoreConnoisseur.com. You can also find the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Simply Ask Alexa to Play, Liquor and Core Connoisseur Podcast, she'll do it. The show is on social media. Facebook and Instagram are where I am most active. I maintain Twitter occasionally. And please leave me your feedback. I enjoy getting comments and questions from you, my listeners, and share with your friends. And as always, thank you for listening.